Welcome to the FDD Events Podcast. I'm Cliff Mate, founder and president of FDD. I'm pleased to share with you the following conversation. Please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast so you don't miss out on future FDD events. Good morning. It's Wednesday, December 13th. Israel has been at war for 68 days. I'm Jonathan Shanzer, Senior Vice President for Research at FDD. Welcome back to the FDD Morning Brief. The fighting continues in Gaza, and I'm fighting another war with my inbox. I know you are war-weary too. There's only so much you can read, and that's why we created the FDD Morning Brief. You can thank us later. This morning, I'll be joined by Hillel Neuer, the loneliest man at the United Nations in Geneva. He runs UN Watch, and he's always got something interesting to say. But before we speak to Hillel, let's take a quick look at what's happening this morning. The fighting continues in Gaza. Israel is making advances. Hamas fighters are surrendering in even greater numbers, but there are still tough battles to fight beneath the ground. The tunnels of Han Yunus are said to be even more complex and foreboding than the tunnels that Israel destroyed in the northern half of the Gaza Strip. According to some reports, Israel is now flooding those tunnels with seawater. This has not been done before, so we don't know what will happen. It could weaken the buildings above the tunnels. It could make the drinking water undrinkable but it still might be better than bombing all of them. Israel has agreed to let even more aid into Gaza. Those accusations of genocide and war crimes really ring hollow. I continue to be surprised by how far Israel is willing to go in order to please and appease the international community. The IDF lost 10 fighters over the last 24 hours. Two bodies of Israelis killed on 10-7 were also discovered in Gaza yesterday. The tough news continues to roll in but remarkably, Israel is just taking it all in stride. I have yet to see signs that the public has soured on this war. The IDF announced yesterday that 20% of its fatalities in Gaza were the result of friendly fire and operational accidents. This only underscores how challenging it is to fight in Gaza with all that close quarter combat and house to house urban warfare. I'm not sure the American public fully understands how tough this fight has been. France, Italy, and Germany have all called for EU sanctions on Hamas, and Switzerland, yes, Switzerland, has even come out against the group. This doesn't mean that Europe will all of a sudden support everything that Israel's doing, but it appears that Europe has finally seen the light on Hamas. Okay, here are your top three big stories to watch today. Headline one, Hamas leaders based in Qatar may soon get the boot Here's what we know. The Qataris have recently come under fire here in the United States and elsewhere around the world for supporting Hamas. The regime in Doha says that this was all done with American acquiescence. In fact, Senator Lindsey Graham said as much from the Doha forum yesterday, but that may not be enough. Reports suggest that longtime leaders like Khalid Meshal and Ismail Haniya from Hamas may soon be on their way to Algeria at Qatar's behest. Abu Ubeda, the masked Hamas spokesman who has been threatening Israel for years, may already be in Algeria. To be clear, a base in Algeria will certainly make it look like Hamas is in exile. I think the Israelis would prefer that the group move to Antarctica. So what's next? Removing Hamas from Qatar is a good start, but the real win would be for Hamas to leave Gaza. The Israelis believe that if they could just capture or kill Yahya Sinwar and Mohammed Daif and perhaps a few other leaders, it might pave the way for a deal to send hundreds of other Hamas leaders to Algeria and beyond. You'll recall that's exactly what Israel did in 1982 when it sent Yasser Arafat and the PLO to Tunisia. 
the PLO wasn't destroyed, but it was marginalized, at least for a while. Headline two, and speaking of the PLO, a debate has erupted yet again about the Oslo process. Here's what we know. A debate about the peace process from the 1990s doesn't exactly seem like headline news, but it's relevant now because Israel is hearing from the United States and others that defeating Hamas should pave the way for a new horizon in Palestinian-Israeli peacemaking. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, who first rose to power as a staunch opponent of Oslo, is having none of it. He took to the airwaves yesterday, proclaiming that Oslo is the reason that Israel is in the predicament that it is currently facing today. So now what? Bibi's not wrong. Oslo provided the framework for the creation of a Palestinian proto-state, the Palestinian Authority, which never fulfilled its promise. The Palestinian leadership was corrupt. The Palestinian opposition, Hamas, was genocidal. And it all fell apart in 2007 when the Palestinians fought a brutal civil war. That led to the territorial split we see today with the Palestinian Authority in control of the West Bank and, and Hamas ruling Gaza. You can read all about that war in my 2008 book, Hamas versus Fatah, The Struggle for Palestine. But I digress. Now that Hamas is about to be removed, we are uh, at this point uh, looking at a chance, maybe, for the Palestinian Authority to take control of both territories, maybe. Except here's the problem. The Palestinian Authority is still corrupt and exceptionally bad at governance. The Oslo process that created the PA was an abject failure that yielded unimaginable death and destruction. Israelis are right to be skeptical. Could this two-state par paradigm be done any better by the Biden administration? I have serious doubts. And finally, Gilad Erdan, Israel's ambassador to the United Nations, held up a sign yesterday with Yahya Sinwar's phone number. Here's what we know. Erdogan's sign said that if the world wanted a ceasefire, Sinwar's phone was the number to call. From all appearances, it was Hamas leader's actual phone number. One can only imagine the texts that he received yesterday. Erdogan's stunt comes amidst increased chatter about another hostage for prisoner swap brokered by Qatar. It is still hard to gauge the likelihood of a ceasefire. I mean, the Israelis have said they are willing to flood the tunnels with seawater. That would obviously imperil the hostages being held below ground. And Hamas doesn't seem flexible right now either. Spokesman Osama Hamdan, speaking from Lebanon yesterday, said that the group would not discuss another hostage deal until the bombing stopped in Gaza. In case you're wondering, Yahya Sinwar's phone number is 970-599-373-765. Okay, those are your headlines. A short while ago, I had the pleasure of interviewing Hillel Neuer, the executive director of UN Watch. He's been a thorn in the side of the UN for years. I think you'll find this edifying, to say the least. Welcome, Hillel Neuer. Thank you. Good to be here. So, Hillel, let me just start by asking you this question. Um, for those who are not familiar with UN Watch, you live kind of a lonely existence out there in Geneva. You're out there trying to hold to account a corrupt and bloated UN. What is that like day after day? Yeah, well, look, it, it really is lonely because I'm at the United Nations Human Rights Council in a place where even the democracies who might be in principle opposed to many of the terrible things that are said and done there, even those uh, representatives tend to be in the diplomatic mode and tend to want to go along to get along and don't speak out. So on on so many terrible things that happen there, 
things that, you know, election of the Iranian regime to be chair of a UN human rights forum, and so many resolutions that are anti-Western that distort ideas of individual rights. Obviously, anti-Israel uh, activity is insane over there. On so many of these things, we're the only ones speaking out. And so the loneliness is from the in the diplomatic community, but also we are an NGO. We're a non-governmental organization. Most of the groups there belong to the radical left ideological camp and are also anti-American, anti-Western, and anti-Israel. And so on so many of these issues, we are really the uh, black sheep, the lone wolf. And it is it is a lonely place. I am, I've said it before, but I am the most hated man at the United Nations. And, um, you know, it sounds funny and everything, but in reality, if you're the only one in the room, it's not pleasant. But we know we're on a mission. We know we're supported by millions of decent people. And that keeps us going. Yeah, I suspect not a lot of invitations to the Christmas parties in Geneva right now. Um, let me try to uh, dig into some of the issues that you're tracking at the UN. I know you track the Human Rights Council primarily, uh, but maybe let's start with um, what's been happening at the General Assembly. There was a lot of talk just not long ago about Article 99. Do you want to talk about that for just a minute, what that meant, and 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 was there any impact? Yeah, the Secretary, Secretary General Antonio Guterres used... Uh, power that he has to convene a meeting of the General Assembly. This was after the United States vetoed uh, a resolution that would call for a ceasefire. The ceasefire sounds nice. It sounds humanitarian, but we were talking about a terrorist group that on October 7th invaded Israel, massacred some 1,200 people, committed mass rape, mutilation, torture, uh, a level of sadism that we perhaps haven't seen since the Nazis. And, and in some cases, maybe even worse than the Nazis. The Nazis were ashamed of what they did, Hamas recorded it on GoPro uh, cameras. So uh, Hamas said they want to do it again. They've said so repeatedly. And uh, to save Israelis from another massacre and to also save Palestinians who are living under an oppressive regime that people don't like to talk about, Israel is obliged to dismantle Hamas. So those who call for a ceasefire are saying what Hamas wants. Hamas wants to stay in power. And sadly, the UN General Assembly has gone along with the Secretary General. Um, after the US vetoed uh, a resolution at the Security Council, the General Assembly uh, went ahead. Let's talk about um, UN Women. Uh, this is an agency that's taken a lot of heat in, uh, in recent weeks, and I think for good reason. I mean, we could make the argument here that the UN has failed half of humanity. What do you say to that? Yes, I think uh, the UN, for many people, uh, has betrayed its founding principles. We just marked the 75th anniversary of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, adopted on December 10th, 1948. Uh, this is a great charter that calls for protection of the right to life, uh, to uh, freedom from torture, equality, uh, non-discrimination. And yet, the UN's highest bodies, like the Human Rights Council, where members include China, Cuba, Kazakhstan, Libya, Qatar, Pakistan, and UN Women, an agency that is supposed to speak out for women's rights. Eleanor Roosevelt was one of the original activists for women's rights at the UN. If she were alive today, she'd be appalled at what's become of the UN's leading agency for women's rights. For the most part, for nearly two months, they were silent at Hamas using rape as a weapon of war. Only under intense pressure did they begin to say something, and it was too little and too late. Yeah, I tend to agree. 
Um, another failed group that I think we've been tracking here at FTD is um, the uh, UNRWA, as it's known, the UN uh, Relief and Works Agency. This is the organization, of course, that has dedicated itself uh, to the perpetuation of the so-called Palestinian refugee problem. Um, we've seen a lot of problems emerge as it relates to UNRWA. You want to just review some of those and let us know what you're tracking there? Sure. This is, as you said, the UN Relief Agency for Palestinians. It's supposed to help Palestinians. The reality is that over some seven decades, they have only uh, perpetuated Palestinians living in uh, dependency and kind of a welfare regime where they don't have to work in the UN, UN meaning us, our tax dollars from the United States, Canada, Switzerland, the UK, Germany is the number two sponsor. America gives 300 million plus, Germany is giving 200 million. And it's to keep Palestinians in a state of grievance and dependency. The narrative is that they are victims of 1948, meaning victims of the existence of Israel. And the way to solve the problem is basically to undo Israel. The Hamas attackers who invaded Israel were acting effectively on the UNRWA narrative. Uh, UNRWA doesn't say expressly mutilate and rape, but they do teach Palestinians, generations of Palestinians, that they are victims of 1948 and that their true homes are not in Gaza, are not in the West Bank, but are actually within Israel proper in Tel Aviv and Haifa and Lod and so forth. So we shouldn't be surprised when cement is given by the international community to Palestinians and instead of using it to build homes, hospitals and schools, as Inat Wilf has said, they use it to build terror tunnels because that is the narrative that they were told in part at UNRWA schools. We have documented how UNRWA teachers systematically incite to jihadi terrorism, celebrate the murder of Jews. They celebrated the massacres, uh, the massacre of October 7th. When we documented 150 perpetrators of UNRWA teachers, they said, ah, it's some bad apples. It's a few bad apples. Well, 150 isn't a few. But the, the other key point is UNRWA has produced zero evidence that these are the anomalies, a few bad apples. The reality that we see is that these apples reflect the entire crop. Uh, when these UNRWA teachers uh, do post anti-Semitism and hatred, their peers on Facebook do not say, oh, I'm shocked that I'm shocked that you supported Hamas and that you are uh, glorifying Hitler and celebrating a massacre of Jews in a synagogue. The opposite is true. Their peers uh, give them likes and give them a thumbs up. And, you know, this a year ago, we exposed a teacher earlier this year, Riyad Nimmer in Lebanon, who glorified a massacre of Jews in a synagogue in Jerusalem in 2014. And uh, when UNRWA was, came under intense pressure from the US, they suspended him for a few weeks. The reaction of the UNRWA teachers union was, he's a hero, he's a patriot. They went on strike for several days across Lebanon and stood with him. So these aren't a few bad apples. This is systemic. UNRWA is in denial. They need to be held to account. And our donor states, especially the United States, giving 300 plus million needs to hold UNRWA to account. So far, they're only uh, whitewashing UNRWA's uh, crimes. Yeah, and of course, we saw at least some reports about one uh, UNRWA official that was, uh, I guess, involved in the hostage taking or the maintenance of, of, of hostages after 10-7. And the Israelis have demonstrated uh, on multiple occasions that uh, ammunition and weapons have been stored in UNRWA bags, which, of course, raised questions as to whether UNRWA brought them in or whether that was just where they were being stored in those facilities. Um, another agency I wanted to ask you about is UNIFIL. There's been a lot of talk about Lebanon and how uh, the UN has failed Israel, but it's also failed Lebanon, hasn't it, 
in terms of trying to prevent the kinds of uh, terror attacks that we've seen at the hands of Hezbollah against Israel really since October 8th. Yeah, look, it, it underscores the fact that uh, those who claim to care about UN resolutions actually couldn't give a damn about UN resolutions if it doesn't support the anti-Israel narrative. There was a UN resolution, I believe it's 1701, adopted in 2006 after the end of the Second Lebanon War, which says that Hezbollah uh, is prohibited from having any presence south of the Latani River, giving Israel some kind of a buffer um, from this terrorist group. And, and the sovereign Lebanon was supposed to make sure, and, and UNIFIL was supposed to make sure that the Hezbollah terrorists would not have any armed presence south of the Litani River. Um, and it was never enforced. The UNIFIL rather quickly understood from Hezbollah that Hezbollah was threatening them. From time to time, Hezbollah would, you know, uh, set off a bomb and kill a UNIFIL soldier. Very quickly, the, you know, Italian and other soldiers wanted to come home in one piece with their beautiful uniform, and they weren't, they're not going to uh, risk their lives to save Israel. So UNIFIL became useless. It became really a fig leaf for Hezbollah taking over all of Lebanon and using homes uh, and other civilian facilities as cover for their rockets. So UNIFIL, I'd say, is doing the opposite of, of keeping out Hezbollah. They're effectively providing cover for Hezbollah, unless Israel, I think, has sent the signals quite clearly that uh, UNIFIL needs to enforce 1701. Again, it's a UN resolution. You never hear Amnesty International talking about it. You never hear Human Rights Watch talking about it. You never hear the students at Harvard or Penn or MIT or the other schools saying, enforce the UN resolution, remove the terrorists. No, they, they couldn't care less about a UN resolution from the UN Security Council. Well, we've painted a pretty bleak picture here. Is there anything, I mean, you're tracking this every day. This is your job, Hillel. What can be done to fix the UN system? Any uh, maybe heartening words to that we can hold on to here as we end our, our chat this morning? Well, we, we mustn't give up because, uh, first of all, you know, Israel has been able to uh, achieve significant progress in dismantling Hamas. That's a good thing. Uh, the United States should be commended for giving Israel the latitude, despite some criticism that I believe was unfair from time to time, uh, implying that Israel is not complying with the laws of war, which is absurd. We know that Israel uh, complies to a standard that even the United States, the UK, and other allies uh, have never applied. And we've heard that. I heard that from Colonel Richard Kemp, the former British commander in Afghanistan. I heard that from several generals, US generals who visited Geneva and spoke about this issue. We heard it from the chief former, uh, I think, chair of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, who said that Israel is even, you know, the Americans were a bit concerned because Israel was perhaps setting a new standard that the American forces have never uh, applied in terms of uh, notices given to civilians and so forth. So, um, but I do commend the United States for, for giving Israel some latitude to, to um, uh, prosecute the war as, as it needs to. And that's important. And the other important thing is that the democracies at the United Nations that we've been describing need to speak out against injustices. When Israel is targeted by a special agenda item at the Human Rights Council, democracies need to speak out. When Guterres says, well, yes, I condemn Hamas brutality, but at the same time, at the same time, you know, there's a context and, and there's not, it's not a vacuum. It didn't happen in a vacuum. And he didn't talk about how his own UNRWA teachers have been indoctrinating generations of Palestinians to support jihadi terrorism. He didn't talk about that context. Rather, he had a long list of grievances. When those sorts of distortions are said at the United Nations, 
Democracies need to hold them to account. When they do, we saw when, when a UN agency in Beirut put out a false report accusing Israel of apartheid, Nikki Haley back in the day called out the secretary general and they deleted the report. So we know the U.S. can have enormous influence on the secretary general, on UNRWA and on other UN agencies such as UN Women. So our democracies, whether it's the U.S., whether it's the U.K., Germany, the Netherlands, Canada, need to step up to the plate at the United Nations. If they do so, they can push back. They won't defeat all the resolutions, but our democracies need to be heard speaking loudly for basic principles and holding terrorist regimes and their apologists to account. That does make a difference at the U.N. All right. Well, keep up the great work, Hillel. Thank you for joining the FTD Morning Brief. Thank you for having me. Okay, here are the other stories FTD is following today. New Treasury sanctions were announced this morning targeting Hamas. The terrorist financiers are based out of Turkey, Lebanon, Gaza, and beyond. My colleagues Elaine Dzinski and Melissa Sachs from our Center on Economic and Financial Power will take a closer look. Some of the names on today's list were previously identified in FTD's research. We've been closely monitoring these financial flows and identifying targets ripe for designation since well before the 10-7 attacks. The American Islamist group known as CARE, the Council on American Islamic Relations, now seems to no longer be welcomed uh, by the U.S. government. This comes after the group's director, Nihad Awad, publicly stated that he was, quote, happy to learn about the 10-7 attack, which he called an act of self-defense. My colleague Hussein Abdul Hussein wrote about this yesterday in the New York Post. Somehow, CARE has been giving guidance to the Department of Homeland Security and White House for years, and it regularly meets with other top U.S. officials. The, na- the, the group was named as an unindicted co-conspirator in the Holy Land Foundation Hamas finance case back in 2001. It's unbelievable that it took so long for the U.S. government to recognize this group for who they are. And finally, the New York Times reports that Ukraine and the United States have reached a crossroads about what to do next in the defensive war with Russia. Ukraine's leaders want to retake territory that Russia captured. The U.S. is not sure that this is a recipe for success. My Russia-watching colleagues, John Hardy and Cliff May, FDD's president, are tracking this story. The White House and the Pentagon are now heavily involved in two wars being waged by America's allies. And in both cases, it appears that America's strategy is one of restraint. That's it for today. Check out all of our work at FDD.org. Follow our work on X at FDD. And please make sure to make your tax-deductible contribution before the end of the year at FDD.org slash invest. Join us every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for more FDD Morning Briefs. Thank you for joining in. I'm Jonathan Shanzer, signing off for FDD. Music.